Welcome to our Road to Desert Rain series. Today I sit down with Stacy Ariola. She tells us about her life and upbringing in South Carolina, her travels uh, throughout the United States and Paraguay, and eventually ending up in El Paso and Desert Rain. But before we get into that, thank you to Diego at Recording Moving Studios. He does all the editing and sound engineering. Thank you to David and Danny West. That's the guitars you hear in the background. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about Desert Rain Community, check out theruin.com uh, to find more podcasts, whether it's this series, Road to Desert Rain, or Dispatches from the Verge. Please check out drcrpod.com. Uh, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Word of mouth and social media really helps us out. We appreciate you, and let's get into it. Hello, and welcome back to Road to Desert Rain. I'm here with Stacy Ariola. How are you this morning? Good. Yeah? Yeah. Um, thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you have you heard, you've listened to the episodes, right? I have. Yeah, I know some people have avoided them in an attempt to not yes boot said that and i was like oh that probably would have been a better idea but i was like four episodes in so so you know the layout yes Uh, we jump we jump in uh to childhood and the main thing i know about your childhood is you grew up in in south carolina yeah so so take us from there yeah so i was uh born in florence south carolina um i'm the middle child of five kids and um life was very steady and the same all the time. I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, My parents were both saved during the Jesus movement in the 70s. Yeah, I've heard of that. Um, They both came from Methodist churches and stayed in the Methodist church, um, but had awareness of the Holy Spirit and... So did they get saved? Were they in the Methodist church when they got saved? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then they, yeah, so they stayed in that traditional church. I grew up in the Methodist church. Um, I, being a very emotional person, loved the tradition of the church, mm. but felt like there was lacking in, like, heart issues and heart What do you mean by feeling. that exactly? Um, it was very, sometimes it could feel very stoic and so planned mm-hmm. out that mm-hmm. there was no room for interpretation or okay. um, fresh ideas. And, um, and through my filters, that felt very unemotional to me. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just kind of always longed for a little bit more. Did you feel connected? I guess two questions. One, did you feel connected to the church growing up in it? And did you, and or did you feel a connection to like God? I did, to both. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I loved the church. I loved everything about the church. And I don't remember um, like my salvation moment. Mm. I just always loved God. I loved Jesus. I loved the things that that relationship offered. Um, mm-hmm. It felt really, uh, it was normal to me because that was all I had ever known right. growing up. 
Um, my parents are still both very involved in the church. Um, so it was normal, but it felt safe. Mm-hmm. And there was never any part of me that doubted anything that I was being offered in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just fully absorbed all of that and what about, mindset. So was that sort of within your household? Was it that way? Like, did your siblings feel the um, same way? Uh, obvi- I mean, obviously it was important to your parents because they raised you guys in the church. Right. Um, I would say I was the one most drawn to it, um, that I was, I embraced it a lot more than all of my siblings did. And, um, was a little more enthusiastic about religious things. And did that carry on into like your high school and early adulthood? It did. Okay. Very much so. Yes. I, um, Yeah, so I started going to a Christian school in seventh grade, which Mm. was the start of our middle school. Um, And it was um, non-denominational, but leaned very evangelical. Okay. And so I kind of got this deep dive into this charismatic world Mm. of um, the evangelical church. And I started that same year. Um, a group called King's Kids, which okay. is a part yeah. of Boot, Boot talked about that a YWAM. Bit last week. Yeah, Youth with a Mission. Um, so I joined a King's Kids team that year and started going to this Christian school and just kind of, um, I loved it. Like I loved everything about it. Can you describe what King's Kids, like give the elevator pitch? Yeah. So King's Kids is a um, like teen discipleship program. Mm, so okay. we teach, it's, it teaches like a worldview of missions and the global church. Um, and in the 90s, we did local ministry by team dances and community outreach. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that seems so like counterintuitive in my mind. Yeah. Like when you think of Christianity, and I guess this is a stereotype, but especially like in the South, dancing seems like not part of that. Right. So that's cool that you guys yeah. actually did that. Very conservative dances, but yeah, yeah but still team dancing. Yeah. 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 And so you got involved with teen kid teen wait, what was it? King's Kids. King's Kids when you hit middle school. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and that the year or the summer previous to all of that, um I was like 11, went on my first mission trip with a youth group um to Kentucky. And we were helping build houses for, like, people with no running water and no electricity, oh, wow. like, up in the mountains of Kentucky. And this was in the 90s? Mm-hmm. Uh, this would have been, like, 96, I think. Okay. Um, and I just, like, my seeing that just opened my eyes to so much. Mm. And it was such a, like, pivotal moment in my life. Um just couldn't believe that people live like that mm-hmm. in the United States. And um, and just kind of knew that um, that aspect of serving and helping people was a big part of who I was. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, so that was my first encounter with that. And then through our school, um, we had an opportunity in the spring to, um, they presented us <laughs> with this, we could go to Mexico for a week and help with a missions outreach in Mexico. We were going to be in Juarez okay. and, or we could stay in school for a week. <laughs> I was like, I know where I'm going. Pick me, pick me. <laughs> um, I was not a great student. School was not something I was super interested in. Mm-hmm. It was really hard for me. I struggled a lot through school. Um, so anything I could do to not be in school, I was going to jump at the chance. But then it was also a mission trip. And so right. and I had just already... had that previous experience yeah. the year before. And I was like, absolutely, I want to go do that. So that, so that's funny because I'm always interested in this aspect. But coming from South Carolina, I lived in South Carolina for a couple of years. So it's green, lush, mm-hmm. beautiful. You know, it's ra- it rains very often. So what? As you're, did you guys drive or fly? We flew. So as you're coming into land into El Paso, what mm-hmm. like do you remember looking out the window or like experiencing the desert? And what was um, that like for you? I don't remember like from the plane's perspective, but I remember. So the first few, so I did this trip multiple times, but the first few years we came, um, we were in Anapra in Juarez. And Mm -hmm. I remember that very first year um, standing like on the mountaintop in Anapra and just Mm. looking out and being able to see like all of Mexico, all into El Paso, all of that, and just being like, oh my gosh, you can see forever here <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> because there's no trees. And um, but also stood there and just like wept like a baby and mm. was just so brokenhearted um Be- in that moment. Yeah, for the, what I was seeing. Because of the poverty or mm-hmm. because okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, for- I'm sure the whole experience was overwhelming, but yeah, you've that been, was what, like mainly, 12, 13. Mm-hmm, I yeah. was probably 12. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For, and for those that don't know about Anapra or the local area of El Paso and Las Cruces and Juarez, um, it's a, well, especially Juarez, but it's a, a, a we're a poor region, mm-hmm. you know, to, to put it pretty bluntly. And so um, I can even remember just driving from Cruces to El Paso on I 10. And looking into Juarez and seeing. Yeah, you can see it right mm-hmm. over the border. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny. So just a little sidetrack, but I, I had the exact opposite experience in South Carolina. I can remember the first time. I don't remember flying in it, but it the first time I got on the interstate and I started driving and I, I was like, this feels so weird, but I couldn't put my. I couldn't claustrophobic. Yeah, I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I realized like, oh, I can't see anything. Because yeah. even on the interstate, there's parts where the, the highways, div- the interstate's divided and there's trees between that. Yeah. So you can't even see lane. cars yeah. coming from the other. I was like, I'm driving in a tunnel, yeah. a natural made tunnel. But um, so, yeah, I'm always interested to hear people's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that uh, experience encountering the desert. So, um, so it sounds like missions became part of your your life during uh, during high school. It did. Um, and then, so how sort of how did that translate into early adulthood? Did you continue doing that after high school? Um, so a little bit. So that very first year that I went to Juarez, 
there was this really cute long-haired boy in his Jinko <laughs> jeans on the worship oh, team. Oh, you wore Jinko. <laughs> I knew Boot was a Jinko guy. <laughs> um, who just captured my attention. Okay. Um, so I ended up returning. The school continued to offer this trip. Mm-hmm. And I think until my senior year, you either went to Mexico or you stayed in school. And then my senior year, they everybody had to participate in something. And so mm. you went to Mexico, and everybody who stayed home did some sort of local outreach okay. in, in our community. Um, and so I went to Mexico every year, and Boot and I developed this relationship and uh, just continued to get to know each other and wrote letters and messaged each other on AIM and (laughs) phone cards to call each other. Oh, dang. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The day of phone cards. Yeah. I think towards the end of my high school, my mom finally got a cell phone. And so I could call like after nine Mm -hmm. on the weeks and (laughs) seven on the weekends or something like that. And so we found our ways to communicate. Um. But and are you all relatively similar age? Uh, he's three years older than me. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, and then my summers were filled with. Um, I worked at a Christian summer camp in North Carolina um, for part of the summer, and then the other sum- part of the summer I would do outreaches. I spent two summers in Ukraine. Mm. Um, and what was that like going to Ukraine? It was. Very different and amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I really loved the people that I met there. I was helping um, with English camps that okay. a church, a local church there was hosting. Um, and then we had missionaries from my home church that were over there, and that was my connection. And so okay. I stayed with them and kind of went just to hang out with them and then was helping with what their church was doing that summer. And how long would you hang out? How long were you in the Ukraine for? Um, about a month, okay. both summers. I went two summers, and I think each summer was about a month, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and it was, it just was it. I just kind of like really loved these new experiences of new cultures and meeting people and mm-hmm. hearing their stories and just learning their ways of life. And, um, and then on top of that, getting to tell them about Jesus mm-hmm. just was like, yes, that was like the best thing to me. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, So after high school, um, I really wanted to do um, what's called a DTS. It's a discipleship training school, and that's a part of YWAM. Oh, okay. Yeah, Boot talked a little bit about that. Yeah. But what what was your experience with that? So that was what I wanted to do, and there was some conflicting points of view between um, my parents and myself about it. Um, because it costs a lot of money to do them, and it's mostly through fundraising. What is it exactly? Um, so it's a uh, all DTSs are kind of run a little bit differently, but in general, it's about a six month intensive training course. And so you're doing this discipleship training, um, and it works on like the vision of YWAM and about your personal relationship with God. And then about ministry, Mm. like going out and doing outreaches. And so you'll have like three months of classroom time and then a two-month outreach um, to wherever that school is going. And everybody goes different places. So 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 do you go as a 
for the outreach part, do you go as a class? Yes. Or do you get to pick an individual? Most will go as a class together. I think there are some schools that will, because they have them all over the world. And so you can do your school in different locations in the world. Um, And some DTSs, their outreach part will be in the same location as where the school was, if you're like in another country. Okay. So it just kind of depends on the location you go to. And so to back up to what you were about about to get into, you said there was fundraising and some conflicting views. Between my parents. I had just spent a lot of money and fundraising time the last six years of life that they just felt like. Mm. I had asked for enough. <laughs> so <laughs> No more, like, no more asking. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. And um, so I ended up joining a theater group based out of L.A. And I moved out to L.A. the summer after oh, I graduated wow. high school. Joined this theater group. Um, and knew from the very beginning that it was not where I was supposed to be. <laughs> Just 100%. And so what, you were like 18 or 19? I was 17. Okay, okay. I graduated at 17. Um, and to back up a little bit, Boot and I had dated through high school, and we had broken up my senior year. So we were not together at this okay. point. And my senior year just was – it was a good year, but it was really rough, and I kind of weaved through a lot of depression that year. Mm. Um, and so I – um, moved out to LA, joined this group, and it was a so their home base was LA, but they were a traveling theater group. So they would break up into units, and each unit covered a region of the the United States. Was it a uh, a Christian theater group? Or it, was it? It was okay, um, but it was not as Christian of a group as I was used to. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I well, think you had the religion up. aspect of it was not their like prominent headline, Focus. yeah. Okay. Um, and so I was put in a unit that was traveling the Midwest. So we had like the Dakotas and Minnesota, mm. and Nebraska. Hopefully, not Iowa, during the winter. <laughs> something. Uh, we started in the fall, oh. and by. The end of September, I think we were in North Dakota, and it snowed for the first time, and I was like, "What in the world?" It's <laughs> <laughs> like oh, I am it not. Yeah, it yeah snow I'm not going to survive this. <laughs> no, it does not, especially not in September. <laughs> right. <laughs> we might have some flurries in February, and that's about it. Yeah. And um, so the commitment of the group was supposed to be two years, mm. and um, and about nine months in. I just was like so depressed that I was mm. starting to have physical symptoms and migraines every day and stuff like this. And so um, my parents, um, they had f- good friends in Minnesota who we had actually stayed with as a host home mm-hmm. um, on part of our trip. And so they got in contact with those friends and said, we're going to send her to you and then she's going to fly home from there. And so um, without me asking this whole plan just kind of formed to get me out of this group. And mm. um, and I was very grateful yeah. for it because I just didn't know in that state of mind how to ask for help. 
So do you think, because you, you started with, you knew right away that that group right. was not for you. So do you think you stuck it out that long because you had already made this commitment or you were just, you were in such a depression that it, you were just, you know, sort of lost, so to speak? It was probably both of those things. Okay. Like I, I, I had made this commitment, um, uh, but I also was just like super depressed that I didn't know what else to do and mm. going home felt like, yeah, like I just felt lost and yeah. I was like, well, what else am I going to do? So I might as well do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I got home and it was just a really like weird and lonely and isolating time mm-hmm. and I just got kind of even more depressed Um I don't struggle with feelings of failure a lot, but I really did at that moment mm, in life. Right. Um, all of my friends were in college and doing like really well and having their college life experiences. And um, I didn't have a whole lot of communication with them. And I just was like back at my parents' house with no plan and right. <laughs> did, had no idea like where life was going. And, um, and so it was really hard. It was a really dark time. Um, but in that time, um, Boot had sent me an email and we hadn't talked in over a year at this mm-hmm. point. And he sent me an email and just reached out to apologize like how things ended and um, just to kind of give an update on where he was and what was going on in his life. And um, I was like, well, I'll just call him this number might not be his number anymore, but I'm just going to call him and see. And I did, and he answered, and we ended up talking for like six hours. Oh, wow. And just caught up and told like both sides of the story of, you know, what was going on when we broke up and what had happened since then. Had he already started interning with Barry at that point? No. Okay. Not yet. Um, So at... This was probably. And how far removed at that point were you from coming home from the. So like a couple months. Okay. It wasn't very long after that. Um, And this was probably January or February that we communicated again. And then the lady from my school, from my high school, who ran the outreach to Mexico um, contacted me and said, I heard you're back in town. If you want to help chaperone the group going oh, wow. this year, do you want? You're more than welcome to. And I was like, I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> really? I, yeah, because I just, I was oh, in such a weird place. And, oh, okay. And I was like, I don't just want to be like the weird girl just out of high school. <laughs> oh, because like, the rest of the chaperones are like parents. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, I just felt like a really weird place to be. Okay. And, um, Anyway, I ended up going. Boot was also there that year. And um, so we, like, basically spent the whole week just talking and mm. sitting in the corner by ourselves and figuring life out. Hanging, hanging out. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure he shared part of his story. He had had a rough year also and moved, like, to Missouri and I think went to Indiana with his mom for a little while in that year and kind of was in a dark place too and figuring all this stuff out. Um, so we just kind of talked and said, you know, if if we were going to be together, what was it going to look like and what did we, w- like what were we both wanting in life? Mm. And um, and it was very 
two different things, which would normally be a red flag <laughs> to most people. And we were just like, oh, it'll work out. It'll be fine. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, so we got back together and just we're like, we'll figure this out. This is, this is what we want to do. And, um, and my, at that time, like my desire was to be a missionary. Like mm. that never went away from me. Right. Like my heart was to, um, to travel and to love people and to share the gospel with them. Mm -hmm. Like that was what I wanted to do. And, and it was not what he wanted to do. And to me, it just kind of was this thing of like, well, our, like my family, my kids, my husband will just, it'll, it'll be all of our thing. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to just do this by myself right. because I wanted a husband. I wanted a family. And in my mind, it was just something that we were all going to be working towards. Mm -hmm. And so, but he was very on this like music track at that time and had a band and wanted to tour and put out music and all this stuff. So we were like, well, we'll just figure out. Cause at least travel was the common denominator. That mm. was what we kept coming back to. Like right. travel, we can make it work. Both things can work because we both want to travel. Right. And so we'll figure out how to make that blend. And um, so um, we ended up, that was March, and then we ended up getting married the next, not the next May, but the next year's May, um, so May 2004. No, we didn't. We got married in January. He proposed in May, that next May, and then we got married okay. January 2004. So almost two years That later. was confusing, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, and we lived in El Paso, when we first got married, and that was when his internship started, it was like that a little bit before we got married, and then our first year of marriage. I guess all... I thought you guys moved to South Carolina right away. So you you did, you've lived in El Paso before. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we were here, and then he finished his um, apprenticeship, I guess, and I had just found out that I was pregnant with Lona, and so. We were working like a lot of jobs between the two of us and we we're going to have a baby and he was done with his apprenticeship. And so we were like, well, we'll just go back to South Carolina. That'll probably be the easiest. Um, so we moved back there and he got a job at some insurance agency, I think. But it was like customer service okay. for bilingual representation, I guess. Right. And so that's what he was doing. And um, and did you move back to Florence? We did. Okay. Yep. We were back in Florence. And um, and it was just kind of this weird year of like, I mean, I had a baby and that was super exciting, but just kind of like floating through life and not mm -hmm. really knowing like where we were headed. And um, we had a lot of, we had a lot of issues like from the beginning I think like two months into our marriage, Boot was like, I just don't know like that I believe in God the way that I've always was taught God exists. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> we should have talked about this <laughs> a few months ago. <laughs> this is not the time to be talking about this. And just kind of these like big bombs he would drop every once in a while that I was just like, oh my gosh, like what have I gotten into? What have I done? And... um. 
and that for a while were really easy to just kind of you're in that honeymoon phase of your marriage. So right. it's real easy to just kind of overlook them. Still that idea of I, I will make this work. Yeah. yeah. And um, but in internally going like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh yes. <no. laughs> um so yeah. So but after Lona was born, um Boot Boot had been to Paraguay um with his King's Kids team in like summer 99, I think. And so he had a connection with the leaders there at the base there. And so he was like, we should go do our DTS in Paraguay because they offered that school there. And um, and I'm a very like spur of the moment kind of person. And, no. and so I was like, <laughs> sure, even though I had just had a baby. Like, How old was Lona at this matter. point? So we moved to Paraguay when she was five months old. Oh, wow. She was a baby. She was baby. tiny. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, so it very quickly within like a month and a half, we just kind of got everything together mm. and raised funds and um, like sold all of our stuff. And so this DTS was a, a little bit different than normal and was a year round school. And so we were doing our school um, like broken up with outreach. So we would do like a few weeks of school and then a few weeks of outreach to the oh, local yes. community there. Uh-huh. And so that was broken up over a year period. So we had intentions of being there at least a year, if not deciding to stay and be there mm-hmm. longer. Right. Um, so, yeah. So it was a very agreeable idea to me because um, I was going to be living in another country right. and doing mission work. And I yeah. was like, yeah, that's absolutely what I want to do. You'd feel called to that. Yes. Like that was, still, that was still very much a big part of the things that I wanted to do. And so, um, and we were like 21, 23 or four at this time. Um, so yeah, so we packed up and moved to Paraguay and did the school and it ended up being really, really hard. And a lot of like, um, I kind of went back into this depression swing and it wasn't as bad as the time before, but it was still hard and I struggled with it. And um, a lot of things were coming up in our marriage that were really trying even more than the previous couple years. And, um, and, and then on top of that, all of the things that go with living in another country. Well, I was going to say you, yeah, you just had a new baby. You're living in a new country. You're, not newlyweds, but relatively newlyweds. early, yeah, yeah, early into your marriage, and and uh, so I, I can only imagine how yeah. that stuff could compound real quickly. Yeah, so there was a lot, and it just got really hard, um, and so we stuck it out. Um, there was a lot of issues, like at our base too, with our leaders, and well, Boot shared something about. They came to you guys one day and like, hey, we need to pray. We might not be able to stay here tomorrow. Yeah. He was something he, like that. he has stories that I think I kind of like have emotionally and mentally blocked. Because <laughs> he'll say things and I'm like, oh, I don't remember that. Um, I have had a lot of children since then also yeah, and true. have forgotten yeah, yeah. a lot of things. So that could play a part in it. But yeah, I'm just like, oh man, I don't remember that. But there is enough that I do remember that I'm like, wow, that was a really hard year for so many reasons. So you stuck it out for the full year. 
we ended up finishing the credits we needed to like actually finish the class and came back a couple months early. Okay. Um, and so we moved back to the States um, and that continued to be really rough. We went into like a really, really hard place in our marriage where we just both were kind of ready to call it quits. Mm. And you um, both you landed it in South Carolina again. We landed right? back in South Carolina again, yeah. no matter how hard I tried to get away. <laughs> I could just, not. It's like me in New Mexico. <laughs> yes. It just, I would leave for a year and come back and leave for a year and come back. And I was like, I I can't go anywhere. And so we came back and he was ready to open a shop. He wanted to have a music mm. shop where he could build instruments and right. fix them and whatever else that entailed at that time. Um, and and the whole time, like every transition in our marriage kind of was this, like trying to make it work. Like mm. we still had such different ideas about what we wanted and what life should look like and all of these things. And it just felt like pushing so hard to get these things to mesh together that just obviously were not meshing together. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so it was always like really frustrating because we would both come to the table with these two like very different ideas about what right. we were super passionate about and just like trying to, what is it, put a, round peg in a square hole or whatever. I'm going to say that backwards, but yeah, it just, it didn't fit is the point. And, and it was, and we would always just be so like overwhelmingly frustrated with not necessarily each other that sure was a part of it, but just not being able to figure it out, Mm. like not being able to come up with a plan that both of us were like super excited about and goals that we could walk towards together. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when that's like the consistent story, it just builds tension and it builds mm. just this kind of animosity because the other person isn't willing to give in on what they want and you're not getting what you want. And it just, it compounds all of these emotions and feelings. And um, when we moved back from Paraguay, we moved into my parents' house for a while while we looked for a place to live and just to kind of get our feet. And so... Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Boot knew he wanted to open the shop. And so we had talked about all of these locations like New York and Colorado and Nashville and some other places and kind of some places where we had connections already Mm, also. El Paso not being one of them. El Paso was, right, not one of them. still had his shop. Yep, because Barry was still here. And, um, And so we just... I think we ended up staying in my parents' house like five months, maybe six months, and and not having the space um, to like stronger, strongly outwardly process what we were going through emotionally, mm. like our marriage being really hard. Lona had a real hard adjustment back into the state. She was like 18 months old when we came back. Um, and that was really hard for her. Um, she did not do well for a long time. She didn't sleep well. She wouldn't talk to my family. And they were very offended at that. And I was right. like, she doesn't know you. Like, you right. have to give her time. And so there was just all these, like, high emotional things going mm. on. And we had no space of our own to process right. that stuff. Um, and so tensions just kept growing. And... Um, 
we just kind of started doing our own things. And then when we were together, we were just fighting like all the time. And, um, and so I went into marriage with divorce as a four letter word that you just don't Mm -hmm. use. And then I was like, oh, this is a hundred percent an option. Like Mm -hmm. I am considering this and he was considering it. And we were just like, we don't know what to do. So that sounds like the best decision. Right. Um, so we eventually found a place to live. Um, we just got a little apartment in Florence just, and we knew we couldn't afford it, but just for the sake of like getting out of my parents' mm-hmm. house. Um, Being we, able to have we your, needed own, to. your yeah. own four walls, so yes. to speak. Yeah, we had to. Um, so we, we were still trying to figure out like where he wanted to open his shop. And I was in support of him doing what he was passionate about, but I came from self-employment. My dad owns mm. a hardware store okay. and weirdly inside of that hardware store my mother runs a christmas shop oh and interesting so yeah so i didn't realize I, you had told me that before i didn't realize they were connected yes okay. they are so the christmas shop is seasonal she doesn't do that year round okay um but yeah kind of the running joke is that married people are super happy when they come to shop because the guys can search the hardware <laughs> store as long as they want otherwise they're <laughs> shopping in the christmas shop um but my parents have done that their whole marriage interesting okay um, so I've grown up in self-employment. I know what it looks like. Mm. I know the ins and outs of it. I know that it is not a um, it is not a very giving. Yeah, it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. My my dad has as long as I've known him had his own business. So yeah, it is. It is a. It takes more than it gives you. Um, no matter what the business is, and um, and so I knew that and. And so I think Boot was like, well, we'll we'll start this business and then we'll be able to travel and do mission stuff as much as we want. And I was like, no, nope, we <laughs> That's won't. Not how it works. <laughs> That's not how it's gonna play out. And so um so yeah, so I was very um not resistant towards his passion, but resistant toward opening a business. And um and so anyway, so we had gotten this apartment to just get out of my parents' space so that we could kind of have a little bit of breathing room to try to figure mm-hmm. out what was going on. And in that same time frame, um, we had some friends invite us to a church in a tiny little town called Hartsville. And I was like, there is nothing in Hartsville. Had you been there before? I had, but in high school, it hadn't been since high school. And in high school, it was like such a dump of a place. Mm. Like it was just one of those, like you could tell history had been there and that it used to be like Mm -hmm. a thriving downtown, but the 80s and 90s had like totally worn it out. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah. And my dad, who was born in Sumter, uh, which is another small town, um, like his mom would take him to Hartsville when he was little to buy shoes. And okay, so there, it, like it the used to be, yeah, like it used to be this thriving downtown and just like every other downtown in America, you know, malls totally destroyed that idea. Mm-hmm. And so what I knew of Hartsville was like, there is nothing but like deep wood rednecks there yeah. and drugs and we don't need to go there. And they were like, no, you should come check out this church. It's really cool. Um, so we went with them one Sunday and it just, 
felt right. And so we were like, we really like this place. We liked um, everything about it. It was a, it was a smaller church, not super tiny, you know, maybe like 75 to 100 people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, small enough that you can build relationships in. Yeah. And um, so we kept going there and probably, I don't know, a few months in to like just going on Sundays, it was like, we should like consider moving to Hartsville and I How can far open a, a business here. Uh, so it was like 30 minutes from okay, Florence. Not too bad. Yeah, yeah, not bad at all. Um, but not still in South Carolina. Right. <laughs> still, <laughs> still very close to where I grew up. And um, and also the downtown had drastically been changed and was very much flourishing and had mm. businesses in it and okay. had totally turned around from the last time that I had been there and what I knew of it um, and become this very cute, artsy little town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, w- I went a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, it has a cool little downtown yeah, vibe for sure. Yeah, it's got a great vibe to it. Yeah. Um, so in that same time period that we're considering, he's like, maybe I can open the shop there. Um, there was an older couple at the church who reached out to us, and we didn't know them. We still really didn't know anybody at the church. We had only been going, and not even every Sunday, but most Sundays for a few months. Um, but they said, we have this downstairs space in our house that we let people you know, live in while they're kind of in transitional seasons, and we just want to offer that to you guys if you're interested in it. And we were kind of blown away. Yeah, that's pretty... Remarkable. Yeah, because they didn't know us. They didn't really know our story very much. Everybody knew that we had uh, just moved back to the country from Paraguay. Okay. And so it was probably like four months that we had been back in the States, five months. Um, I guess about five months because we had just moved out of my parents' house. And so anyway, so we considered it and talked about it through that week and went back the next week, and we were like – you know, we'd love to accept that offer if it's okay. And they were like, yeah. And so we just kind of got the ball rolling on that and ended up and, and boot told them like what he was trying to do um, and start this business and what he, what his job was and all of this. And so it ended up being that this couple, um, they owned a dental lab where they like make teeth and all that. Oh, really? Like yeah. dentures and stuff. Yeah. That's wild. Um, so they owned this dental lab, but they had been like one of the prominent forces of revitalizing downtown. Mm, okay. So they were, their daughter um, had opened a coffee shop downtown and that kind of became the very center point of Hartsville life. Is that the one that was still open next door to Boot shop when I went? That no, that's a newer one. one. This is one like on the next block down. Okay. And um and so they were kind of one of the main point people of like bringing new businesses downtown Mm, and like really getting it back alive. And um so he became a very um important part to boot being able to open his shop in Hartsville. Um and it transitioned over many stages and many locations all downtown mm-hmm. over the years. Um, but Steve was played a huge role in that. Yeah. And um and really helped boot just kind of like zone in on some ideas that he had and be able to kind of set some goals for himself to mm. move forward in the process of his business. 
Um, and so, yeah, so we moved into their house and we were there for about a year and then ended up moving into a little apartment downtown. Um, but we ended up staying in Hartsville for like 13 or 14 years. And, um, and he grew this business from like just himself into in like a back hole in the wall place that was like dark and nasty. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I was like, uh, my kids and I will not be visiting you here. Um, to this like thriving business. Yeah. That was one of that's what, downtown's I mean, that's what I encountered main yeah, main businesses and multiple employees and everything. Yeah. And um so yeah, so it was it was a beautiful thing to watch happen. Um, so many struggles in that, so many hard places, um, so many times of worry, but his ability to keep persevering and pushing through is just like, I'm really proud of him for what he, where he got in that journey and in that part of his story. And to transition a little bit, but I think it's connected, you know, now being the wife of someone that's self-employed, or as my dad jokes, self-unemployed. Right. <laughs> um, you kind of hit this point where this idea of being a world changer had kind of shifted, yep. and you encountered, I, I believe, the Enneagram? Enneagram. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. So my flip side of his his side of our time in Hartsville um, was really hard. And, it, and some of it is connected to his story and what he was doing, um, having a business really limited my ability to like, just say, Oh, this opportunity to go on this mission trip has come up. Let me go. Um, also the time we moved to Hartsville, I found out that I was pregnant with our second kid. Um, and so for the first several years, I kind of had this idea in my, the back of my head that, um, it would just be a couple years and then we'll go back to Paraguay and mm. and then we'll be there indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and the years just kind of kept ticking by and, and that was not anywhere in the foreseeable future. And so the Lord really like had to do a lot in my heart about um, what missions really look like and, and how all that was going to play out in my life. Um, and so the further boot got into his business, um, the more alone I began to feel and mm. um, and just kind of isolated from the things that I was really passionate about because the business was so all-consuming to him. Right. That that was as, his. As you knew it would be. <laughs> right. That that was his primary focus. And um, so I just kind of kept having babies. Mm-hmm. Like it, that was something I was good at. Raising children was something I was good at. Um, babies and toddlers I was good at. Part of me feels like I'm like past my prime in child rearing because I'm like, <laughs> I love toddlers <laughs> and I don't have any more. Right. Um, and so now we're entering teens and I'm like, oh, I, I oh, love no. them. I don't have any problem with teens. I just don't feel like I'm good at it. I like see. I don't feel like I'm good at like relating to teenagers. And Where so the toddler of, thing felt kind of natural. Yeah. yeah. So part of me is like grieving my babies and toddlers. Um, so I had Lona when I was 20 and Clive when I was 30. And I hit 30 and was having my fifth baby. 
And I just felt like I had lost a decade of my life. Mm. And I was like, what the heck have I done? I have literally stayed in my house for a decade and just had babies and been at home alone by myself for 10 years raising children. And so one of the things that was like really pushed in the circles that I was in mostly connected to the evangelical church in like my middle school and high school years was you were made to be a world changer. Like Mm. you, you were, um, you were created to do amazing things. God has huge plans for you. Like all of these like massive ideas and, and you're, and, and being a missionary is like, the number one greatest thing you could do. Yeah. There's other things that you can do that are still going to be amazing. But if you could be a full-time missionary, like you have made it and that is awesome and you will be praised for that. And so that, um, so it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily my age. I didn't kind of have this crisis of turning 30 but it was it was looking back on mm-hmm. this decade and going yeah. that that's a whole decade yeah. that's a whole 10 years and i have done nothing that all of these leaders said i was going to do let me insert here that i am very aware that raising children <laughs> is a beautiful very important right, job right 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 because when i would say this when i first started this process in this deconstruction journey that was my pivotal moment. Like that was my turning point and my big question for God. And I would share these things and people would go, but you're doing a great thing. Look at all these children you're raising. And so it's not to downplay having children and raising them that that's not important, but that was not. So you say on the list of great world changing (laughs) things, if that makes sense. Well, and I think it, it was the paradigm, right? Like you grew up with a certain paradigm. Yeah. That like being a missionary is is this great yeah. uh, bestowed upon honor, you know, and, and you yes. weren't doing that. Right. So it wasn't, it was just this idea that had been instilled in you yes. at a young age. And it 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 had played out differently at that point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody was like, stay home and have as many children as you can, and then you will be changing the world. That will <laughs> right. be such a great thing, you know? And so, yes. Yeah, so I had these very, like, idealistic mentality about, that was very narrow about what being a world changer right. would look like. Um, and so, so that was my initial like hold on a second maybe everything i was taught and the way i was taught it and the filter i saw it through was not exactly correct mm. let me let me think about this for a minute and so it took me a long time not a long time but maybe 6 months of just dwelling on that idea of right. like well if i'm not doing this like being a missionary and traveling um, telling people every day about Jesus, then then what is my life about? Mm. What what is this? What is my purpose? Right, what am right. I supposed to be doing? Um, and so that began to kind of lead into a lot of other things um, of just internally for my own personal self, 
evaluating my relationship with God mm. and my relationship with what I'm created for. Okay. Um, and so I know it's very different in boots deconstruction, which I'm sure he talked about. He is more science minded. And right. so his is like more logical after life things and and the the real time frame of the world and all of these things. And like I could give a conversation of that for like two minutes and then I'm like, I really don't care about this. <laughs> and so mine is so much more relational and and how my relationship with God connects me to the Trinity, but then to other people. Right. And and so that I want to know what I'm supposed to be doing with those two things um, as far as, like, the relationship aspects of those go. Um, So, yeah, so probably around 31, somebody told me about the Enneagram, and um, I was like, probably because of the person who told me about it, I was like, whatever, I don't even care. I'm not interested in what you're talking about. And so it probably took another year, and I kind of kept hearing it pop up through that year. Mm -hmm. And I was like, let me see what this is about. So I started looking into it, and the Enneagram is basically just like a – it's like a personality test, one of those tests, but a little bit different because it doesn't talk about your strengths and the good qualities about you. It zones in on your – like core fears and your core weakness, which is something everybody can look at themselves um, in good lights and say, well, I hope I'm like this mm-hmm. or I want to be like this I one day. to be this. But, and you can, but you can kind of make that up. But mm. you can't look inside of yourself and deny what your like weaknesses are like mm. everybody is very aware of their own weaknesses and their own internal fears. And so the Enneagram kind of puts you in this place of like not being able to deny who you are according to your internal weaknesses or fears. And then you build out from there to know like how to navigate life being like that and the beautiful things that come from that. Well, the funny thing too about that is uh, Richard Rohr, is a big proponent of yeah. the Enneagram and, and we've talked about him many times on the on the podcast right. and sort of his um influence that he's had in, in David's life and and uh the community here. Yeah. I mean that's how we ended up with the labyrinth because they had a right. labyrinth at his uh center for action and contemplation. So it's fun a, a full circle connection. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so what what number are you? So I'm a four. Okay, I'm a wing seven. Five. Yeah, I, I, don't, think I, I, can, I think I guessed I that about yeah, you. I, think so. I was like, if, I think you're a seven wing eight. And you yeah. were like, yeah. I can't remember my – I always – my wing, I, I I forget. Yeah. And I know it's either a six or eight. I don't, I don't know five. you super well, but my guess would be that it would be an eight. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, so I'm a four. I I have shift to a wing five in my – um getting to be later part of life. Earlier I was definitely a four wing three. Mm. Um and what's a four again? I don't I don't the four is the individualist. Okay. Um so we our core fear is um not being unique Mm. and and being average and um not known for the creative unique person that we are. 
That's funny because I have a little bit of that for sure. Yeah. So I think fours and sevens are very connected because um, fours are also very emotional, have very deep feelings, very strong feelings, can easily pinpoint their emotions. Um, and had had that not been the core of who I am and being able to see that from like my earliest memories of that, those like deep emotions mm, right. um, and that need to feel unique and individual, I would think that I was a seven yeah. um, because fours tend to normally be very introverted, but I'm not. Yeah, you're I'm, definitely not. I'm an extrovert, but there's so many things about a seven of like being spontaneous and always up for adventure and wanting to try new things, like lots of things about a seven. But then when you get to it, sevens kind of tend to um, avoid their feelings and avoid mm diving deep and they only want to participate in things that bring joy and happiness. And I'm like, oh no, let me, <laughs> right, right, let me, right. I have to sit in my room and just cry for the sake of crying for like an hour. <laughs> like I need that melancholy yeah. in my life. Like I need to process that. And so, yeah, so there is a lot of, there can be a lot of similarities yeah. between a four and a seven. And I think sometimes they get misdiagnosed between one and the other, but yeah, because there's a bunch of different ways, like tests and stuff like that. Yeah, to, but I think I've always landed on seven. Yeah. But I, I think the wings have shifted, kind of like yours. Probably how shifted yeah. for you. Um, so we're gonna have to jump ahead a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I do. I want to. So I want to end now with sort of how how did you end up at Desert Rain? You yeah. Know, from from so, Hartsville's South Carolina, where you guys had grown this business and started your family, and yep. Um, and now you're here at Desert Rain, so. Yep. So we, um, so Boot and I both kind of started our deconstruction. He probably started a little bit before me internally without talking about it a lot. But we both started, like, venturing out and having these conversations with other people around the same time. Mm -hmm. And um, and so probably five years ago, he kind of came to me and just was like, I'm burnt out. Like mm. I am just really tired. Um, he, and I'm sure he shared this, but I don't want to tell a lot of his story, but has always struggled with depression and mm. suicidal tendencies. And it's been a theme all of his life, but in our marriage, like parts of our biggest struggles have come from that mm -hmm. behavior. And, um, Around this time, his anxiety and his depression had just been so much that I was like, you have to figure something out because this is not working inside of our home. And I just, I think in, in my deconstruction, I learned to have a lot more of a voice for myself mm. because I was, I was releasing a lot of those religious boundaries that kind of held me in this certain right. place. And so I was learning how to say the things that I really wanted and needed. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and just the weight of what he was dealing with and not getting help for it mm. was just crushing me. Right. And, and, and the whole atmosphere in our home. And so that had been going on for a while where I was like, you have to, like, you have to figure out what to do with this. You need help and you have to, you can't come in the house anymore like this. And, um, and for some other situations in life that we were going through also, um, that were just 
causing like so much brokenness in our mm-hmm. home in us individually. And that was leaking into all of our family. We had five kids at this time. Like everything was just broken mm-hmm. is the best way that I can describe it. Right. And, um, and so finally he came home one day and he was just like, I am done. Like, I just can't do this. So at this point he had built the business up to like four employees. They were doing lessons and retail, like this whole production was going on. Yeah. Um, uh, but he was realizing like he couldn't continue in that capacity anymore mm-hmm. um, in the state that he was in. And so I was like, well, I was like, I'll do, I'll, I'm with you, whatever you need to do. And um, so that kind of led into this desire. He was like, I just kind of want to go home. Like I mm. want, I'm, I'm homesick and I want to go home. And I said, okay, well, let's make that happen. How are we going to do that? And we didn't know like what was going to happen or anything. And the in in those years that we were kind of having this conversation, him and our oldest had been coming back um, in March. I think they came two or three years in a row to the same outreach that we met at. So he was bringing Lona back to that with him, and they would come out here for a week. And was it still through King's Kids? It was still through King's Kids, but they were doing it in El Paso now. Okay. Um, they weren't going over the border anymore. Um, but it was in it was in El Paso. It was still through King's Kids, and so he would fly out here with her, and they would participate in that for a week. And so I think that's kind of what spurred his like homesickness mm, on because yeah, yeah. it had been many years since we had been out here since that. Right. And um and so he was like, I think I'm just ready to go home. And so we kind of started throwing that out and talked to um, just some kind of spiritual mentors in our life at the time, and just to bounce ideas off of and kind of have, I don't know, support or whatever. Guidance, you, yeah, whatever, whatever you're looking be. for when you do that. And um, and so the ball just started rolling on like, this is where we feel like we're supposed to go. Um, we don't know exactly why or what we're going to do or what it's going to look like. Um, and it, that turned into another like really hard season because – we had, I can count on like one hand, the support that we had from people mm-hmm. in this saying, we're saying, we don't know what we're looking for. We don't know what we're going to find, but we feel like this is the step we need to make. Specifically moving to El Paso. Yep. Right. And people going, you are crazy. Like mm-hmm. you're going to ruin your family. Like this is a bad idea to give up your business and um, move out there with no financial backing and just all this stuff. Like That's it was tough. very, it was a very hard place to be in where you feel like you're pushed so far against the wall because if you stay doing what you're doing, your family's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but you then, can kind of see that unfolding. Right. right. But then when you're trying to be proactive about securing a healthy lifestyle for your family <laughs> right. and healing, people are like, you're making a huge you don't mistake. Want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> So it was really, it was a really hard season for about a year where people just were not in our corner and we mm. just felt really alone in make in trying to make a good decision for our family. Um, so um anyway, we made it through that year. We ended up moving out to El Paso. We stayed at another friend's house for about five months um until we landed out at Desert Rain and um, 
I think initially it was supposed to be temporary. Mm -hmm. And we were just like, we can't stay at this friend's house anymore, but we don't know where we're going or what we're doing. We're just kind of feeling our way through this. Um, And so they welcomed us and we were like, it's just going to be temporary. And then temporary kind of passed and we were <laughs> I was gonna say yeah we so were my, still here <laughs> my stay has been temporary too and you're you guys have been here two years now at uh, May was two years okay yep. yeah mine mine yep. just I think June was three years for me okay. so and, yeah. and what what has that been been like sort of so you know El Paso and Chaparral are very different yeah. right and so going you know spend having your family once again, in the green, lush South Carolina, right. close to your family, and then sort of transitioning out here into basically the middle of the desert. Yeah. What 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 has that sort of unfolded for you in the last couple of years? So it for our family, it has brought so much healing and health. We are such a different family unit from three years ago. Wow. Like 180 degrees. Really? Yes. Completely different. And so in that regards, like, this was the best thing we could have ever done. And we still don't know what we're doing. Boots building guitars. He's only building guitars by himself. Um, We have, like, no income from what we had when we moved. But he is on a road to personal healing and Mm. personal health that he has never um, attempted before, and it's a long road that he has, but he's on it right. now, and he's doing it, and it has already changed so much about him. Um, it has healed without just putting Band-Aids on things in our mm-hmm. marriage. Um, I look at him now, and I'm like, oh, I really do love you. Like, just who you are today, right now, I love you. And so, and that's been a transformation in myself. Well, I was obviously. gonna say you you've mentioned you mentioned a couple of weeks ago the healing that sort of the road of healing you're on personally right. too. Yes. So um yeah, so in my deconstruction, it like I said previously, like it has allowed me to say mm. without backing down, put these boundaries up. Right. But say the things that I need and want. And and that shift inside of me has put me on this journey of healing um, where I am being honest when something's not working instead of just dealing with it and, right. and like putting these Band-Aids on and, and just making it through. I can set my boundaries and say, no, this is not okay. This is not right for me. And it's not right for us, and we need to figure something else out. Mm-hmm. And and just calling out the the crap that the pops up in mm-hmm. life, and just saying, "I'm not going to tolerate this. Like we're going to figure this out, but we're going to do it differently." And um, and so in the healing that's happened in Boot and myself individually, causing that such a shift in our marriage has just trickled down to every single one of our kids. And just shifted so many things in our individual relationships with them, but then also just our whole family unit. Yeah. And um, and so I personally love the desert. I do. I yeah. I really do. And I don't feel like I got an adequate experience of it the first time I lived here when we were first married. Well, you were. Did you leave El Paso much? 
I mean, El Paso is in the desert, but it's not um, the desert desert. Like, no, it, there's all these things that we do now. And I'm like, boo, why didn't you tell me these were here? And he's like, I don't know. I mean, I did it when I was in like fifth grade. We went there. And I'm like, this is so yeah. amazing. Yeah. But we were also working a lot then, too. So it was a very different season of life. But um, and, well, I we, think it's and we homeschool. So we get to go like going and doing these things that are all around us are part of our school. And I'm just kind of seeing it through my kids' eyes. And well, that's what I was going to say. I think when you have kids, it's different because you have, you, you got to find stuff to do. And yeah. so there's just so much stuff to do in the desert. Yeah, there is that you so wouldn't much. Think. Yeah. It's my dad. I think it was my dad who put it one time. He's like, you look at it and there doesn't look like much life. Right. But then when you're in the desert, there's it's so everywhere. much life. Yeah. 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 It's everywhere. Well, that's beautiful. Yeah. You feel good? I do. I do too. Thank you for uh, coming on and, and sharing your story and, and your uh, your path here. And, and uh, it's really beautiful to hear about the, the healing and the, the shift that has occurred for, for you and your family. Yeah. I think what you just said, and I have actually said this to boot, but I think the reference you just made of like, seeing the desert and feeling like there's not much life and then you look closely and it's like so abundantly all around you is like the most perfect description of our lives that I could say of like we're moving to the desert and there's nothing out there and we have no idea what's going to happen and look at all of the life that has come out of it is probably the most accurate description I can give of our physical and spiritual living in the desert and even emotional it sounds like too. absolutely yeah. yeah uh once again thank you for uh tuning in to another podcast uh if you're interested in finding out more about desert rain as a community uh the ruin.com is a place to go if you want to hear other uh whether it's the road to desert rain or the dispatches from the verge drcrpod.com is the place to go um I know you're coming out with a website. Do you want to plug that? Sure. Featherandmountain.com. Featherandmountain.com. Check that out. And you're on Feather and Mountain on Instagram as well, too. Yep. So uh, please uh, check that stuff out. Um, what you hear in the background, that's David and Danny West. Thank you to them for putting together that music. And uh, we appreciate you and have a great day. Mm-hmm.